Okay, everybody, welcome. We're ready to start. Uh, good to see some uh, older faces back in the group. Um, a couple more people coming in person, and uh, great to see you guys. We are holding now in, uh, if you want to orient yourself into Rav Arush's book, we're on page 88. And we're just, just going to finish up a little bit from where we were last time before we begin the, a new section uh, today. So the place that we're at now in the story is that the, the, the Chacham, um, by the way, if you're watching this from, the, um, from uh, Breslov English, from, from Rav Arush's website, please make sure to check out our, uh, our web YouTube channel, Breslov Thornhill, and to, you know, s subscribe and like us over there and share the shiurim around. Make sure we get them to as many people as possible. in Yitzh Hashem. Um, so Rav Arush says like this on page, um, on page 87. The story said he started to consider with his philosophical analysis what he should do. So this is after the Chacham had first joined on the group to go to of workers to go to Warsaw. Then he wasn't happy there, right when he got there. So he decided he's going to join another group of salespeople to go to Lagorna, right? And he wanted to take on the, the, the trade of fancy clothing, pointy shoes, remember? Mm. Fancy, the the job, job as a fancy pants guy. And, <laughs> and he kept changing his mind. And so he finally got to a point where he said, okay, I got to buckle down. It's time that now I should work towards my ultimate purpose. And he started to consider with his philosophical analysis what he should do. So Ravarus points out over here that this is, a, this is a continual mistake he keeps making and a big mistake is that he decides that, well, I'm a smart person and I figure, I've, you know, I'm, I'm moving up. So I'm going to figure out and decide what's the best thing for me to do. He didn't look for outside advice. He didn't try to clarify the truth. So what happens, this is going to be a big, uh, a big um, theme throughout this part that we're going to look at today. What happens when I don't seek advice from someone wiser than me? And when I don't try to clarify the truth of my own situation, and I don't try to speak to Hashem, I am governed by my own lusts. When I say lusts, I mean it could be physical lusts, for sure. And that can lead me down the wrong direction. But it can also be my not-so-physical lusts, my, my desires for honor, my desires for acceptance, all these things that lead us down the wrong path. There, there could be ego, could be fear, could be leading me down all these paths. And I'm just going. I'm just, being follow I'm just following where I'm being led, right? So even though... Although it seemed at the outset like he'd be doing productive things, like maybe learning to be a goldsmith, a gem polisher, ultimately a doctor, he just keeps going with no real direction, no real plan, and, and he's, just, he's just looking, just following his, his lusts in any of these ways. So Rav Arush says something very important next time. He says in page 88 at the top, the section is titled, Where Am I? So I want to remind all of us who were around during the story of the lost princess. There was a very special line in that, in, that, in that story that Rabbi Nachman wrote where he says, Heichan ani ba'olam. Remember, the viceroy, at one, one point he found himself waking up after messing up and after sleeping for a couple years. He just woke up and said, Where in the world am I? Heichan ani ba'olam. Where am I? Right? And over there, we spoke about a few ideas, but here we're looking at it from a slightly different way. Rav says like this, that if we don't know where we are, let's say if we don't know if we don't know who we are, then how how do we know where we're going? How do we know how to get somebody? There's like ten people on here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I just heard that someone can't get on. It, I posted it on the book club one today. It's working. Great. Yeah. Just tell her. To, Look at the most recent one. If I don't know where I am right now, how do I know where I'm going to get? Ravarish gives the example. If you're if you're stuck in you're stuck in Chicago, and you wanna you wanna get to New York, 
right? Sorry. If you want to get to, you're, you're, you're somewhere, and you want, to get to, you want to get somewhere else. If you don't know where you're starting, I can't look on a map and say, oh, there's LA, there's New York, there's Chicago, wherever I want to go. If I don't know where I am right now, how can I get started? I can't, I can't even begin. Which way do I go? So, Mirage brings this down to a very, very fundamental level. What does the question mean? Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing over here? It's not so deep, or it's really deep. It's not like, who really am I? What, uh, you know, <laughs> have I found myself yet? It's not that kind of thing. It's not that question. It's the question of, did we create ourselves? Who created us and for what purpose? Meaning, what am I doing in this world? Why was I created? What am I doing here? How can we possibly know what path to pursue if we don't know what we're doing here in the first place? We have to understand who we are, what we're doing here, why we are here. Then I can now start to look towards the path, the map. Now I can figure out how to get to LA. I don't know why I'm using LA today, but LA is on my mind, I guess. <laughs> right? So if you, if you go now to page 89 at the top, he says like this, Emuna is virtually the only tool whereby we can establish who we are, where we are, and where we're going. A main principle of Amuna is that the Creator has a specific purpose for every creation. In clarifying truth, I come to the conclusion that I didn't create myself, therefore I can't know on my own what's best for me. Once I acknowledge that Hashem created me, I'm now prepared to seek His purpose in creating me. Meaning, the Arizal says this, a very, very special idea. He says that every single person, every single Jew that was ever created, every single person that was ever created, has a tikkun, and a yud, meaning has a, a rectification to effect in the world, something to elevate, has a purpose in the world. There's a purpose why we were put down here. And not only that, but everyone's purpose is different. And person X cannot do purposes, per, person Y's purpose. Right? Sandra cannot accomplish my purpose and I can't accomplish hers. Right? We all have a different thing that we have to accomplish in the world. And we have hints. Hashem helps us to find them. But if I don't first realize that Hashem put me here, and if Hashem put me here, and He's the master of the world, and He runs everything, and He puts everything in front of me that I'm supposed to have, I, and, and, and if I don't have that in mind to begin with, I can't know where I'm going. I can't make a plan to, to see where I'm going. And once I know this, once I know that I'm not the one who created me, I'm not the one who runs the world, now I can be open to and ready to ask for help. I can ask for advice from wise people, from big rabbis and holy people, holy tzaddikim, that know more than me. I can ask them for advice. Maybe I can even just ask if I have friends who are holy. I can even speak to my friends who are holy people. And, and they can help to give me, give me a perspective that I'm not able to see. But most importantly, I'm open and ready to start asking Hashem for help and to make this the basis of everything. So if I'm not in this realm, if I don't have it, this is all centering around Emuna. I, I, I live with Emuna that Hashem put me here, that Hashem created me, and that Hashem has a tikkun for me and a yud for me, purpose for me. And, and if I just align myself with Hashem, I'll be able to figure it out. But so long that I don't do that and I'm trying to figure it out myself, it's only going after my own personal lusts. Once again, when I say lusts, I don't just mean physical lusts. I mean everywhere that I get pulled, I just keep going. And that's exactly what we see happening with the Chacham. He just goes everywhere he gets pulled. He sees something he likes and he goes there. He sees another thing he likes, he goes there, right? So... So he goes on to the next section of Arush on page, uh, at the bottom of page 89 and onto the next page, talking about self-composure and the importance of taking time to step back at every stage of the game and, 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 and compose oneself and think, contemplate. I just want to point out a couple things that came up into my mind uh, when, I was, when I was reading this. So first of all, self-composure means what, how would we usually say is a person without composure. 
right? They fly off the handle. They get really upset. They're, they're just going on emotion and, and the heat of the moment. And what do we say to such a person? Compose yourself. I mean, I don't know if we'd say that, but that's, <laughs> that's one of the things you say to a person. Compose yourself. Come on. Compose yourself. Right? So this is how a person can be. If I'm just running through life and at every, every time something happens, what, what do I do? I just get upset. I get, I get an- anxious. I get fearful. I get angry. I get upset. Whatever it is. Right? Then I'm not composed. And when I'm not composed, I'm just flying off the handle. I'm going on the energy that's happening right now. I'm just reacting without thinking. So you can see such people in the world that are on a path and they maybe some, make some good decisions here and there, but then something happens and boom, it's all out the window. It's all out the window. All of a sudden, why would this happen? Why is Hashem doing this to me? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I shouldn't be with this person. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this and, and going crazy. Just like the Chacham in the story. Mamish, exactly just like the Chacham. Right? Because I can't step back and compose myself. The Tam. And, and what's, the, what's the main difference between the Chacham and the Tam here? Is the Chacham thinks he has to know everything and make the decisions. And the Tam just steps back and says, okay, what does Hashem want from me here? In every step of the way. Every step of the way. So to compose oneself, that's what it means to step, step back and think. I thought to myself, I know that there's a big problem with many people who are overthinkers, who think too much and get, get the wheels flowing, rolling, and things just roll and roll and roll and roll, and they can't, they get paralyzed, they get going down the wrong paths because they're just thinking too, 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 too much. But wait a second, isn't this what Rav Arush is saying? Don't just act. Stop and think. Stop and think and compose yourself, and then you can move forward. So what's, which one is it? Right? Do I want to just live in the now? We've been saying this all along. I got to live in the now. Or do I need to pause and contemplate where the now is going to take me? What's, how, do, how, do I, how do I make sense of this? What's the story? So I'm hearing people say something about balance, which is, of course, very important and probably the best thing to think about in this situation. But just a couple of points that I think shed light on this that might help us out a little bit that I was thinking about. So first of all, I think, tell me what you think about this. I think there's a difference in thinking about the future, planning for the future, but also living in that future and, and, and being, being completely in that future, as opposed to thinking about the future from within the consciousness of the present. Do you hear what I'm saying? Totally different. In other words, if I'm in the present moment and I'm contemplating now, what is Ratzon Hashem for me right now? What can I do in this current situation that's going to, right now, what can I do? What's my decision right now? And as long as I, I, I ground myself in that type of thought, now maybe I can go, I can follow it through and be like, okay, if I do this now, then, and, and what I think is Ratzon Hashem now, where is it going to lead me? What's it going to do for me? Why should I want to do it? Then I can, I can go forward. But if I'm completely encapsulated within just the future, right? And I'm not really remembering that the time to serve Hashem is now. And I'm just kind of following through to see where it's going to take me. It's two very different, very different pathways. You hear You hear the difference? So, you know, um, I, 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 a person can get very wrapped up in, in like, is this the right path? Is this the right path for me? Is this something that I should be doing? And, and, and where's it going to take me? Where's it going to end up? If I do this, then if I marry this person, right, then, then, wow, what if they end up, you know, what's going to be when we get in, our, in an argument? What will be? What if they have a mida that I don't, that's not so great. What if after a few years their appearance changes and I'm no longer attracted to them? What if after a while their relationship gets stale and then how's it going to be? How are we going to deal with that? 
What if we have disagreements about money? What if we have disagreements? Okay, these are things to have on the person's mind and to sort of think about. But if they, if I'm only in that space, and I'm not looking at the person right in front of me, I'm not looking at my partner right in front of me today. Okay, what can I do today to have a good partnership? What can I do today to work together? Okay, what's going to be in the future? All right, well, we'll see. So many people, like Rav said in one of his other books, that it's possible that Hashem puts you sitting down in front of your soulmate and you decide that you know better. And you, quoting Rav Chaim Kanievsky, by the way, in, in this. And, and what did you do? Okay, don't worry. Hashem will figure it out. It'll work out. <laughs> right? But it's, it's, it's possible. Am I here right now? Am I, am I saying, I need to be married now. I need to have a job now. I need to just be where I am. Or have I, have I thought through the consequences to such an extent that I can't actually do anything now because I'm so worried about what's going to be? So there's a very big difference between thinking about the consequences of something, where it's taking me, from a place of, of now and just being in the realm of those consequences of the future. Very, very big difference. I hope we can understand. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe either by the end of the lesson today, or maybe next time we'll think of a good uh, of, of a good muscle for this. Yeah. We'll see. But that's that's one of the aspects. So the next thing that he says, the Ravar says over here, if you go to page uh, ninety. Um, before we get there, just there, there, was, there was two points. Two points about self composure. The first point of self composure is that my. My, my, my thinking now about what I'm going to do in the future where this is going to take me in the future has to be grounded in the now it's something I think very important the second thing is is it always has to be that I'm seeking truth as opposed to just following my own personal form of guidance which could be coming from anywhere right it could be coming from, from a physical desire. It could be coming for a, from a desire for honor, ego, fear. It could be coming from something that, that, that I saw looking at one of the Stussy videos that I watched. And it, it's, it's, it's making me think that I should do this, right? Who knows where it's coming from, right? If it's not grounded in the truth of emuna, then it's also the self-composure is not going to help me. So to sit back, pause, and think, what does the Rebbeinu Shoilam want from me what is Ratzon Hashem now Hashem put me here for a purpose what's my what's my purpose what am I doing how am I going to get there now I can think okay what am I going to do now and where is it going to take me in, in, in those two ways so a good segue the next thing the Ravar says is, is the title is there's only one truth happens to be that anyone who studied Rabbi Nachman's uh, deeper writings on the, on the topic of truth well, know that this is not so simple, what he's saying over here. But, nonetheless, let's, let's try to understand what Ravarish is trying to tell us over here. Basically, the concept is like this. We all, at different points, it's, it's the same thing we've been saying, by the way. We all, at different points in our lives, have something which is what we'll call our truth, which is the way that we see things. I got it figured out. This person's wrong. This whole thing is wrong. This is the way it should be. And, 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 and that's my truth. Right? So, this is what, this is the type of thing that creates, this is a, in Torah, I believe, in Torah, Nun, I think it's Nun Vav, maybe, in, uh, in the, in the Kutimaran. This is the source of all machlekes, of all, of all arguments and fighting. Why? Because we each have, we each come from a place of, of our own individual truth, quote unquote, right? And even if we really think it's the truth, we, we, we think we're right. And so what happens? Two people with two differing views of what's truth, they, 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 they clash. They create a, a fight and a machlekes. And, 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 right? Just imagine everything that's going on in the world. He, he says over here, top of 91, there's so much discord because everyone in the world, because everyone is pursuing his own truth without trying to establish absolute truth. All these truths are nothing but lies. The, pre the prerequisite to finding absolute truth 
is first deciding to stop living the lie of our own truth and stop fooling ourselves with it. So for me, Rar says, someone who really believes what they're doing is the truth, who knows what, what such a person will do, right? People will, will steal, will kill. Who knows what, the, honestly, who knows what they'll do? When you really think you got the truth on your side, there's a famous, uh, there's a famous statement that there's two different types of machloikasin, right? And Prikiyava says this, and says that a machloikas that is not l'shem shemayim, meaning a machloikas, an, uh, an argument that is not for the purpose of heaven, in the end, uh, it's not going to endure. It's meaning it's not, it's not a strong, it's not a good machloikas. Or it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to last. And yeah, on the other hand, a machloikas that is l'shem shemayim, that's for the purpose of heaven, like the machloikas between Hillel and Shammai, right? Soifaliskayim. That, that, that machloikas can endure. Meaning, the simple understanding of it is that it has something to stand on, right? It, it's something that will come to, a, come to fruition. Right? However, there's another way to, to, to learn this. I heard this from Rabbi Pesach Kron many years ago. He said, machloikas, that's l'shem shemayim, meaning when a person thinks Oh, I'm doing this l'shem shemayim. I am a righteous person, and I am not. It's not selfish. I'm doing this because I know it's the right thing, right? I have my own truth, and and I believe in it. So he says, such a machlekes soifalis kayim. It's never going to end. It's going to continue to endure. That machlekes will go on forever. Why? Because I think that it's that that that, that, that I'm right, and I have heaven behind me. Who knows where I could go? So, so a person, together, one of the main ingredients there has to be over here, he doesn't actually say it here, but it seems very obvious to me on page 91, is that in order for a person to deal with the realm of truth and to try and find what he's calling over here absolute truth, let's call it Hashem's truth, a person has to have humility. We have to have humility. And we have to be able to step back and to say, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to try my best, right? And to not, not get too powerful, not act, you know, hopefully we don't get in situations where we have to act in a very strong way on a truth that we're not sure about, right? But to always be honest with ourselves, always be humble. Maybe I don't know exactly. Maybe I'm not 100% sure. Maybe I don't have all the facts. Maybe I should speak to someone who maybe is a little wiser than me, who can give me advice, Maybe, like what's the famous Breslover slogan? If you have something that you can't figure out the answer to, take it to the forest. Go and spend time. Talk to Hashem for hours about it. How many people spend hours contemplating something before they get into an argument? How many people talk to Hashem for hours before putting themselves into a dispute? Right? Imagine if, if a person did that. You'd go in with a totally different energy, a totally different ability to, to, to exist within that, within that dispute. Wow. This is, that's powerful. I think so. So in, in, the, in the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, in Yiddish, he said there's such a thing as emes and emes or emes, which is, uh, in the Hebrew translation, is usually there's emes and emes lamiti. Emes lamito. Absolute truth, truth of truth. Right? So we all have our different perspectives, and we all see things in a different way, and and so and so therefore, it, 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 Hashem sees everything. So, just uh, one more important, I think, uh, just piece of uh, personal musr I'll give to myself over here, and you guys can share in it if you want. Is that um, it's usually not worth it to to hold strong to an opinion and insert yourself into a dispute, it's almost never worth it. It almost never is positive. Right? They say about Rabbi Nachman that this was one of his traits. I've heard this about many tzaddikim, by the way, is that he, would never, he wouldn't push people to do anything. He wouldn't even push things to happen. Like, like if he wanted something to happen, he wouldn't push. Why? I, th- I think it, it comes from, from this, this place also. I don't want to insert myself too strongly into something when, when, when it's so much, uh, I, who, know, who knows? I, I know I have my own perspective and the other person has their own perspective. You ever, um, 
I think we talked about this before, right? But you, you know, like if an alien came down, where they didn't have they didn't have proper type they didn't not proper they didn't have the same form of reproduction that we have, right? And this alien walks into a hospital room where there's a woman giving birth, right? And he sees what's going on in there, and you know they're screaming, and and she's freaking out. And there's blood, and there's like, and people are running around, and there's things beeping and everything. And, and he'd walk in, and he'd be like, oh my gosh, what are they, they're killing her. What are they doing over here? Right? And, and he would, if he, if he didn't step back, and, and, and no, I'm talking about an alien, but if the alien in the story didn't step back and compose himself and think about and maybe speak to Hashem a little bit, aliens can speak, <laughs> aliens can speak to Hashem too, why not? Right? Then, then he, he, who knows what he would do? He might kill the doctor. How dare you? I'm sa- what? I'm saving the I'm saving the woman, right? That's his perspective. That's where he sees the truth. Meanwhile, the the doctor, the husband, the 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 the, the lady, they're sitting there and they're in the, the this amazing moment. And they wouldn't change anything. Right? So that perspective and they they could both think they're completely right in what's going on. Right? I know it's a wild example, but Earthly examples exist also. <laughs> yeah. So this is something to think about. Um, so it, if we don't put ourselves on the path of, of, of trying to get ourselves... I don't like this Indian of absolute truth, by the way, uh, and, and, and attaching to it so much, because um, it's a little... It's a little absolute, and it also, in my in my mind, it a little bit takes away from 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 the person a person's ability to to live with a truth that is important to them and that they've developed maybe with Hashem together. Okay, I don't have Hashem's vision, but but you know, I have I have I have a truth that I've that I've really worked on and developed in a humble, connected to Hashem type of way. You know what I'm saying? So. So yeah, yeah, uh, we have to we have to be humble about it though. That's that's I think the main thing. But if we don't if we don't try and always anchor our truth to with the truth of Hashem, with his deep truth, then once again we're led through life by just our urges, by just our 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 lusts and our fears and our desires. That's what leads us through life. So he says over here, lower down on page 91, he says that, that you know, the body's urges and appetites are so strong that they taint the truth. So imagine if you have, he says, how many overweight people continue to endanger their health by indulging in excessive and unhealthy eating? Ask them if they want a heart attack, and they'll answer emphatically no. Yet they're going to keep going and keep eating, keep in the unhealthy habits. You could have someone who has high blood pressure, but they, 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 they keep with you know, the salty french fries all the time. And, and it doesn't, things just keep going up and up. So our, 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 our urges, our desires, everything pulls us along in these ways, even though we know theoretically what the truth is. It's just another example of an individual truth that just gets pulled whichever way the world pulls me versus the absolute truth of, 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 of Hashem. So once again, we can develop, I, I'm saying something not like he's saying, we can develop a healthy connection to the truth of Hashem, which in some ways might be our own truth, right? Through just making sure that we always try to look for truth in a humble way and in a connected to Hashem way. And with those, with those ingredients, humility and, and always putting Hashem in the picture, humility, humility and emuna. That, that's a way that we can develop some type of tangible um, working level of, of high level truth you hear what I'm saying mm-hmm. alright so he goes let's go a little bit farther and then we'll start we'll move over to Rav Kivak a little bit so he found it appealing to learn the trade of a goldsmith it is an important trade and attractive it demands wisdom and is also very profitable so Rav Arush says right away he's like what attractive and profitable that is exactly what we just said. It's strictly chasing after lusts. This is something that is attractive. Oh, and it's going to give me money. Let's do it. He didn't, he didn't stop for one second to think about, what am I doing in this world? Is this going to put me on the right path? Is this leading me towards my purpose? What am I going to do 
as a as a goldsmith. How is that furthering my purpose, the purpose of my existence? Right? He didn't think for this one second. What? It's attractive, attractive and money. That's all he thought about. How many people has attraction and money put in the ground? <laughs> how many people has that pulled down? How many politicians? How many celebrities? How many normal people have been, how many marriages have been ruined because of attraction and money? We keep saying this. This is, by the way, we were talking about this in the Wednesday night class, right? With the Taivas Mamun together with, with uh, Shmira Sabris and Avoy Nazara, the whole thing. It's all one thing. How many, it's, 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 it's terrible. So this is all he said. Since he was a highly intelligent and a philosopher, he did not need to learn the trade for several years. In only a quarter of a year, he mastered the trade and became a distinguished artisan, more expert in the trade than the one who had taught him. So it usually takes a long time to become a goldsmith, apparently. And he re- remember, the Chacham had real serious talent. He was a very talented person. So he learned it very quickly in a fraction of the time that most people learn it in. Not only that, the student became the teacher in such a short time. He, he became on a higher level than, than the one who taught him. So this is where he found himself. So we see, Rabbi said, he had am- am- enormous, amazing potential. Imagine what he could have done if right, just right now he sat down and started to be like the Tom. Even if I learn, on page 93, even if I earn enormous sums of money, will this satisfy my soul? He should have asked himself. Why did the Creator give me such talents? Is my purpose in life to make a prettier pendant for the Queen of Spain and the one that the Queen of, Eng- then the one that the Queen of, Engl- of England dons? Rather, the fact that he was successful, he didn't stop to think, what am I doing here? Why do I have these talents? What am I supposed to do with them? Rather, he just he, he, he allows his success to, of, of becoming an amazing goldsmith. He leaves it in five seconds. Afterwards, he contemplated. Even though I now have this skill to depend on, even so, it is not enough for me. Today, this trade is in demand. Perhaps in the future, a different skill trade will be more highly regarded. And he goes to become a precious gem cutter. Uh, yeah, gemologist maybe I don't know mm-hmm. right in the in the Yiddish original Yiddish he becomes a, a Steinschneider a stone cutter right a precious gem cutter Steinschneider so once again uh, page 94 Varsh says those fortunate people who focus on their true goal in life are always happy however to find our true goal the very purpose that the creator created each of us to fulfill we must also get to know the Creator. To get to know the Creator, we must establish an intimate personal relationship with Him by speaking to Him daily in personal prayer. And then we're going we're, we're gonna to exist in this realm a little bit farther down. Everything that happens to us in life is a precision, divinely oriented stimulus intended to facilitate our tikkun, our soul correction, and mission in life. Realizing that Hashem is doing everything for our ultimate benefit, whether we understand how or not, enables us to be sincerely happy with our lot in life. Meaning like this. It's very easy for a person to not be happy with what's going on in their life when they are not connected to a purpose. When what they're doing in general is not connected to a purpose. Now that could be that could be any person. I, I have a, an example in my mind that you can have a person who is a really good person, very good parent, and cares tremendously about his family, about his community, studies Torah, right, goes to shul, takes care of his kids, does everything. But the person does not make a million dollars a year. They just are able to get by. And this person is the most unhappy person in the world. Is there food on, on, the, on the table? Every day. Nice food on Shabbos. Do they have a car? They have two. Do they have... Are their kids able to go to activities and, and have, be in a good school? Absolutely. But the person can't take it. Can't take it. Because he's not making three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars a year. Can't stand it. What, what am I even doing here? What does God want from me? Right? What do you mean, what does God want? Hold on a second. What are you here for? Are you, are you building an amazing family? 
Are you and your wife creating holiness together? Are, are you raising children up to be Oivdei Hashem? You're feeding them? You're, you're helping the community? You're, 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 you're learning? You're doing mitzvahs? What, what, what are you here for? What's your lot in life? What, what's your purpose here? Is your, is, does your purpose only get reached when, when, when the bank account reaches 500000 every year? Is that, is that what it has to be? And if you don't do that, you didn't fulfill your purpose? I'm not, I'm not saying about anyone in specific what their purpose is and what Hashem is, has plans for them, because I don't know, that's for each person to work on to figure out. Right? But it's an example of the type of person who, 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 who can just be miserable their whole life because of this. I, I, know, I know of another situation where there was a, a lady who was getting older and her husband passed away. And so she's alone in the house and she went through a year of being super upset, super angry and unhappy all the time because she's alone in the house. If only her daughter would move in with her, then she'd be happy. Turns out this woman was never happy for a day in her life, but, but, but if only my daughter would move in with me, then I, I just won't be alone, then I'll be happy. So this woman was happy for maybe not even a week until she started finding everything else to be upset about. Right? Why? Because she has no connection to a purpose in life. No reason to exist. No, no understanding of why she's here. So there's always something wrong. There's never... Right? Mashenkin, someone who has, who, has, who has a connection to purpose, right? They can be in, in, in a place and they can find... They can move to a place. Okay, it's maybe not exactly what I thought, but there's a shul here. Okay, good. I'll go meet some people. Oh, it's not like the place where I used to be, where they had uh, energy and they had classes and everything. Okay, but here I am right now. And maybe Hashem wants me to be part of this shul and help it. Maybe Hashem wants me to... You know, uh, people have a very specific idea of who they're supposed to get married to and what they're supposed to look like and what they're supposed to accomplish and what their financial level is supposed to be and what their family history is and every detail you can imagine. It's a sickness to think this way, right? Maybe I'm supposed to marry this person who I saw, who I was introduced to, that I found a couple things I didn't like about them. And, uh, and now, uh, now what? Maybe that was what I was supposed to do, just to be like, okay, Hashem, I'm going to marry this person. Okay, they have that. We'll, we'll see what we can do. We'll try to work with it. <laughs> Everyone who, who gets married and is married for a long time knows that you find, many, find out many, many more things that you're not overly happy about after being married for a long time than you knew when you first met. <laughs> that perfect person who does everything perfectly does not exist. Okay, you with me, guys? So there's a lot more Rav Arash over here. Where are we getting? We're getting. Uh, let's let, let's move over now. We'll come back to uh, the next the next section in Rav Arash on page 94 is why worry. Let's move over to to Rav Kivak for a little bit to talk about the Indian of the of the goldsmith in in Rav Kivak's way. So he says like this: Rabbi Nachman goes into a, a discussion over here, telling us about the job, the career of being a goldsmith. What's the idea over here? It's a great type of job and it's, it's, it's a wealthy, um, what's it called? Uh, field, right? So, why? Why is he bringing goldsmith? Let's sarif, as someone who, who, who forges, purifies and forges gold. What's the idea over here? So he says, Kibemes hatam. The Tam, what's the Tam doing this whole time? He is someone who's constantly forging and purifying in holiness. He's always working to, to, to fix and to forge his own body. He's working on the main purpose of a person in this world, which is what? To, to rectify and to forge and to purify time and again all of the charm, the grace, the chen that's in this world 
And to reveal within it all the chen, the beauty and charm of holiness in the world. Through, through, through this type of, of, of revealing of spiritual beauty in the world, it's very easy for a person to return to their root. Lizkar ha'amuna she'ashem yisbarach asa hazaha v'shar divrechein to remember that Hashem created the, all the gold in the world and all the other things of chen of, of beauty and charm in the world they come from Hashem and he, say, he goes on to say there's also on a deeper level there's seven different types of gold which correspond to the seven gvurois stringencies of all the seven character traits the seven midas of, 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 of Kabbalah and this is the avoid of him this is why Rabbi Nachman specifically used the gold the goldsmith as his example over here. Shazav, who inyan listen to this. This is this is gorgeous. Shazav, who inyan naki shenivra kamoishahu b'toich siginu pesolos u'metzarfin esoy zichu chacher zichu. Because gold is something that is created as gold within the world, in the dirt. It's surrounded by impurities. It's stuck together with other kinds of rocks and dirt. And it has to be forged and purified over and over again. Until the, the beauty and the splendor of this gold becomes revealed. He says also, this is, what a beautiful, listen to this. What a beautiful metaphor to understand this. This is the difference between a big city and a small town. In a, in a small town, you see trees and you see flowers sprouting. You could see the sky. You could see that. You ever been? You ever seen the difference between the night sky when you're out in the, a small town compared to in the city? You think you're on a different planet. Namish. You see cows. You see chickens running around. Everything you see over there. I've spoken about this before. I'm very happy to see it over here. When you're out there, more connected to nature, you're looking at everything just the way Hashem made it. It's like as if Hashem put all these things right in front of you, just for you. Right? Very different. When you see these things, this is where the Tom stayed, by the way, in the small town. When you see beautiful trees and mountains and rivers and you see animals, you see flowers and just natural things, it's so much easier to be connected to our shorish, to our root, because it comes directly from there, right? It's just the way, the way it is, the wind blowing. It's like Rabbi Nachman says in other places that when the wind blows through the grasses, it's like, it's like, it's as if Hashem is, I, who blew the wind, right? No one else is making wind. Hashem's blowing the wind. It's as if Hashem is talking to you through the wind blowing through the trees and, and, and making these sounds. It's mamish, so much easier to be connected to Hashem in such a situation. Mashen ken be'ir, not like in the city. Most of the things we see are man-made. Everything. Asphalt bakvish, whether it's the asphalt on the, on the, on the street, the streets are made, are made by, by man. And stores that are filled with what? You know, we say in Eishas Chayel every Friday, right? When we sing Eishas Chayel. Right. So Sheker HaChein means, means that the, this type of, of charm, it's, it's false charm and beauty. It's just surface level. Um, what's the word for that? Superficial. Beauty. And you're walking through the city, nobody's thinking, who made all, who made all this? We're so much farther from the roots that we're not reminded and to think about, oh, wait a minute, like, like he's doing with, with the gold over here. Who really made the gold? Who made the gold? That's not what anybody's thinking. They're thinking, wow, this artist, he's such a good artist. And look at, look how beautiful this is. That would look so nice on me with this dress and with that, whatever. And that gold watch would look so nice with my fancy suit and fancy pants and pointy shoes, right? It would all go so nicely together, right? 
who's looking in the jewelry store, right? This is like a, a, a home assignment for us all to do. Who goes into the jewelry store and says, whoa, look what Hashem put in the world. Hashem created gold. Hashem created diamonds. L- unbelievable, amazing, right? And not by anything. <laughs> Just look at the wonders of the creation in the jewelry store. Who does that? We don't. <laughs> we look at look at the architecture downtown. Like we're walking through the city. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Who who thinks for a second Hashem put such a spirit into man that they could they could craft such buildings? could build such amazing things, right? Because nothing is built for the covet of Hashem. And we can forget about Hashem in such a situation. He says, Because the normal way of looking at these things is to think about the handiwork of people. And through that, we forget the root, where it came from. <laughs> Pardon me. This is what the Chacham forgot to ask. Who is the king of the gold? Who made the gold? He went into this business just to continue, listen to these words, just to, to, to build on more to the to the false beauty in the world. To add on more coarse physicality and materialism onto the already apparent concealment of Hashem in the world. It's like he's, 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 he's contributing and further concealing Hashem in the world by, by the way that he's approaching this job. Right? So this is why Rabbi Nachman used specifically the goldsmith over here to teach us this. So, so if we, we, I know we, we've said this many times, we've had this a lot in The Lost Princess. And, and, and this idea that, that you see gold in the world and when you pull it out of the mountain or you, you, you know, mine it from wherever you mine it, you got to go. It's, it's got dirt in it. It's got all this kind of stuff. You got to break it down. You got you to gotta burn it. You got to melt it down to nothing and scrape off all the impurities. And, and, and then you're left with, with beautiful gold. Then you got to polish it. You got to form it. You got to... Make it, polish it, do all the all this work to it to, to make it to make it shine, to make it become a pe'er. We are called pe'er. The Jewish people are called pe'er. Yisrael, the pasuk says, Yisrael asher b'cha es pa'er says Hashem. It's Yisrael through which I will be adorned. Using the word pe'er, this is our job: is to turn ourselves into and help each other to become beautiful, shining pieces of gold. Really, it's gemstones. We could become so precious, but you know what we have to do to that? We gotta, we gotta chip away at the at the dirt. We gotta, we gotta sometimes break ourselves into pieces, and and then we gotta, we gotta, mamish, melt ourselves down. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta work, and it has to go time and time. There's a lot of steps. Then we gotta make sure we're forming ourselves the right way. We gotta polish ourselves. We gotta go through all these things. And then we can become a real pair. This is the, what the Tam is doing the whole time that the, that the Chacham is doing this. He is turning himself into beauty and splendor of, of the sweetest, most amazing, humble, spiritual way. And, and the, the Chacham is just adding on to the Gashmias and the illusion of beauty in the world. Wow. Time is okay, a little bit more. So then he thought to himself, right? He, he, he wanted to move on and become a, and become a stone cutter. So Kivak says like this, Kivan Shaloi Haya Roitze Lichyois, as a Chaim Shaloi, Rak Haya Doyeg Kolhazman Al Ha'achakach. Just like we said, the, the Chacham does not want to just live his life, period. He, just, he doesn't want to just live his life now. Rather, he's always worried about the Achakach. He's always worried about what's going to be afterwards. He doesn't put his, 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 his attention to, he doesn't put his energy into living his life right now. He's not happy with his lot. He's always thinking to himself, what's going to be chashiv? What's going to be important? What's going to be exciting? What's going to be amazing in the coming times? In the, in, 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 in the future, not now. 
He says, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Nachman, is, is, is trying to awaken us and arouse us with this, at every moment to be thinking about what's the purpose of now. What's the purpose of now? Even if it's hard work, not to get lazy and to think about what, what else can I be doing. Right? And he says, he says like this. This is a little bit, uh, a little bit complicated. We'll, a little tiny bit of Kabbalah, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with some, with some Rav Arish also. He says, the Indian of, of this guy being a stonecutter, a liter shavani matoyves, is coming from the Shorish, the root of this idea of chen. Okay, so chen. Chen is, is sometimes translated as charm, sometimes transla- translated as grace, sometimes translated as beauty. It means a very, very fine type of beauty and, and type of presence that is very desirable, right? So um, a person who has a lot of chen, where, when do we have, we, this is when one of the Rebbe Nachman Torahs, I think we learned it together relatively recently. Anyway, a person with a lot of chen, it's Torah Aleph, the first Torah in Luka Timran, is a person that, that you're drawn to. And that like, you, want, you, you want to be with this person. You want to listen to this person. You want to help this person, right? You want to do whatever you can to be on the same team as this person. Because they have just something special that really draws a person in. And the chen of a person is something that's very spiritual and special. And it's the whole key to the first lesson in Likut Imran that you should go back and listen to. <laughs> but but, but that, 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 that's another story. So, so there's the real chen, which is someone who has developed themselves to such a, a spiritual level that they're just, they draw people in, right? The, the, the spoiler alert for those who are going to go back and learn Torah Aleph again, the, the Kitzer version of it is, is that we, we empty ourselves out of all our garbage. We lose all of our negative self-attributes and our egos and our angers and everything. We throw everything out and we always look for the wisdom of Hashem everywhere. It's the story, basically. And, and, as, and because of that, we make ourselves into an open vessel. I have room. I have space. And now I can become a conduit for the, for the wisdom of Hashem to flow through me. And when a person does that, that's what happens. The, the high-level spiritual wisdom of Hashem flows through this person. And then it's, it's obvious. If I'm filled up with my garbage all the time, and all of my, my personal desires and lusts and, and, and you know, it, it's the Chacham and Tam, really. Then there's, there's no room anywhere for, for, for Hashem's wisdom to come in. There's no room for light, for the Kabbalistic light to come down into me from above. So, so everyone just sees my garbage and nobody wants to talk to me, right? That's the difference between, between these two things. So Chayn, in a spiritual sense, is this. But there's Chayn in the world also. So there's good chen and bad chen. So he says the word evan, which means stone, is the gematria ban, which is 52. So this is a gematria, just uh, so we see where he's going with this. As we all have, uh, we've talked about this before in different classes, but the, the name of Hashem, that we say Hashem, yud ke vav ke, right? So there's these ways that's called in Kabbalah miluyim, where it can be expanded, this, this name. So for example, you can take the, the letter Yud, and now you spell out the letter Yud. How do you spell Yud? Yud, Vav, Dalid. Spells Yud, right? So Yud is always spelled that way. So now it's three letters, and it adds on to the length of the name, and it adds on to the gematria of the name. You take the letter, the next letter of Yud, Kevav, okay, Hey. now you can spell this three ways. You can spell it Hey Yud, Hey Aleph, or Hey Hey. So too, you move on to the next one, Vav, is Vav Yud Vav, or you could spell it Vav Aleph Vav, and go to the last He, and once again, that could be spelled three different ways. So there's four different, different names of Hashem in the Kabbalistic world that start out as Yud Ke Vav Ke, and get expanded into a different form, and they all have a four different gematrias. One of them, which is the lowest of them all, level of them all, is called the name of Ban, and it's also called the name of, uh, of doubling. Because why? Because you have the Yud spelled regularly, but then each of the other letters is just spelled as double. So He is He He. Vav is Vav Vav. 
and hey is hey hey, right? So you have, the gematria of this one is fifty-two, which is which is ban. Can you with me on that? It's the name of doubles of Hashem. Then the word Evan for stone, this guy becomes a stone cutter, is the exact same gematria as the word as this name of Hashem ban, with the kolo, with one extra. Why? What's the idea? So this name of of yud 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 and hey and and like this, it's called. It's called that the kafulois. Its letters are doubled, kaful. They're doubled. Why? What does that mean? Because this Shem Hakadosh Evan. It's what. It's one of the holy names of Hashem Evan. It comes to teach us to reveal for us the tremendous beauty and splendor of 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 precious stones. Tachlis apeir. Hashem is par banu lamata lamala. It's the, top, it's, it's the absolute highest level of splendor that can be attributed to Hashem in the world, above and below. When we can turn ourselves into these types of, 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 of polished, beautiful, precious stones. That this is how every person builds an aspect of Gan Eden in the world. An aspect of Gan Eden. What is called the place in the world that's the doorway to Gan Eden, right, is the Ma'ara Samach the tomb of, our, of the patriarchs, right? And in the tomb of the patriarchs is the place, why is it called the Machpelah? means the, 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 the tomb of doubles, pairs. That's where the pairs of, of Adam and Chava are, uh, Avram and Sarah, and Yitzchak and Rivka, and um, Yaakov and Leah, just like this name of Hashem is the name of doubles, it, it represents, in a certain sense, the entrance to Gan Eden, which is the place of doubles. And so, this, this, this word Evan, he became a stone cutter. It's an, it's an opportunity. If someone uses this conceptual idea of precious stones, of, the, of shining, beautiful, amazing, precious gems in the world, you can use it in a way where you reveal that splendor of Hashem in the world, right? By turning yourself into a precious gem, by seeing other people as precious gems, by seeing the root of beauty in the world and attributing it to Hashem. It's all revealing the splendor and the beauty and the precious gemness of of Hashem in the world, right? This was his opportunity. This is where he could have gone if he would have approached this job like the Tam. Instead, it just became another stop on his road to self-fulfillment, to finding sheker hachein, hevel hayofi, to find the false beauty in the world, just to follow his lusts and his hearts and, and, and to try and, and make something beautiful so he can show everybody how great he is, so he can become the top of his field and be appreciated and loved by everybody. It's, it's, it's ego and self-aggrandizement and, and everything the opposite of the holy way of doing things. Right, so this 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 really represents exactly the difference between the two. Am I taking everything that I can do in the world, whatever my job is, whatever my path is, whatever my career is, whatever my relationships are, and am I using them as a way? Am I just trying, simple, push it, to reveal more of the beauty of Hashem in the world, or am I using it to elevate myself and my and my and my own ego, my own. Right, this is very sweet, very 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 sweet over here. Um, so you know what? Maybe we'll hold it there because we're at fifty-eight minutes now. Let's hold it there, and we'll we'll start next week in Ritz Hashem with with the Indian of of worry in Rav Arush's book, and we'll continue on. Shkoyach, um, everybody. Any questions or comments or additions? Anything from anybody? What do you got, Sandra? Well, you're saying something. You're saying something pretty important because because what you're saying is that Sandra's saying for those of you didn't who didn't maybe hear is that she found that during COVID when there were a lot of different differing opinions about what to do, you know, some families were torn apart. Yes, mask. No mask. Yes, vaccine. No vaccine. Right. Um, so so she said that she had her own truth and that she followed, and other people had their truth. But the way she did it was by saying, "I have. I, I have. This is my own truth." And, and I'm not going to fight against you. I'm not going to, I'm accepting that you have your own truth also. So that, that what you're saying, seems to be like you, you really included 
one of those most important ingredients that we talked about in in that aspect of truth, which is the humility, which is acknowledging that I don't know everything. I'm not telling you that this is for sure 100% the right way, although maybe we should have sometimes. But <laughs> rather, I'm saying that, that, listen, this is what I think. This is what, what I have to do. And I'm not claiming to know the entire universe. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. At least in that situation, you have, you have, you have some truth. And as long as you put Hashem into there also, Hashem and Amuna into there, you're, you're, you're on the right path. Right? You also, have to, um, you also have to be prepared to allow people to walk away or to, yeah. you know, forgot to pluck them out of your life if need be. Because not everyone's going to agree with you, even when you're agreeing to disagree. Yeah. Because you can't force them. And even in your own ways, whether it's in business or in whatever, um, you have to be true to yourself and follow your gut instinct and obviously consult with your local person if you need to. But, but and your Hashem. Prepared, but be prepared for the consequences that not everyone is going Except to want to be there. Okay. That's, that's allowing Hashem to... Right, exactly. If you remember, we had this, we had this in, the, in the Torah not too long ago, where, where we brought in the concept that, that you have to attach Yira and Din into your pathway. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to say, you have, you have to use the Mira of Din in a positive way of, of, of judgment in, in, in saying, you know what, I have to cut this out of my life. There's something that is not right for me. It's not good for me. It's hurting me. It's taking me down the wrong path, and I have to I have to cut that out. But once again, as long as the main point that we're trying to work with over here, and it goes together, is that when I'm when I'm trying to figure these things out, I have those two, maybe three ingredients, which are which are I have to be humble first of all. I have to be humble. I'm I'm willing to be wrong, right? I don't know everything, and I just I, I want to just to try to do my best to do the right thing. I'm seeking advice from those people who are maybe have more wisdom than me in this area, right? And most importantly, before I go and get in that argument and, and get in that situation, I'm spending hours talking to Hashem about it and composing myself in, in, in that way. What a different existence. So uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Alter. So the story, I'll tell you something about Rosh Bar Yechai that is going to come out the opposite. First of all, the story is that he came out of the cave and he saw people preparing for Shabbos and, and that they were, they were gathering stuff to, to do for Shabbos. And the, the, the way that that story is properly understood is that he was on such a high level, he was so connected to, to spirituality and the Kabbalah that he was just revealing in the world that he couldn't, he couldn't fathom how people could be doing simple physical acts. And he would look at them, and they would burst into flames. Hashem told him, a, a voice came down from, from, from Shemayim and said, this is not what I want, Hashem said. This is not what I want. I didn't create the world so that, so that people should burn up. People are supposed to be preparing for Shabbos and doing all these things. That's when he had to go back into the cave. Not because he, he had a negative vision of the future. And then later on, it happens to be that, that, that the sages of the, Talmud, of the, of the Sanhedrin were worried and they were upset that they thought that the Torah was going to be forgotten. The way things were going with the persecution and the oppression of the, of the, of the Romans. And they said, um, The Torah is going to be forgotten. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai stood up and said, No, no, not a chance. It's not going to be forgotten from our children's lips. It won't happen. He actually saw the future with, with, with the most positivity. And it's through that that, that, that he, says, he says many times in, in the Zohar HaKadosh that it's through the Torah of the Zohar HaKadosh that the ultimate redemption will come through Rabbi Shimon's writings that the ultimate redemption will come. So that, how, how does that reflect what you were saying? Is that the same thing or that's a difference? Yeah, he, yeah he, he was absolutely looking for holiness only and goodness in the world. He was the one who said, who said, no, don't, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. He, he had to learn. He had to learn. And Hashem had to tell him, you know, you still, you need some more time in the cave. You haven't quite got there yet, which is okay. <laughs> right? 
but but he um, he was the one who had a beautiful vision of the future. One of the ways, by the way, the best way to understand this, in my opinion, that that some people learn this, is to say that 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 when the Zoyar, when it says in the Zoyar Kadosh, that that through this sefer is going to be the ultimate geula. The geula is going to come. Is is to say that that it's not even necessarily talking about the future geula, Mashiach coming, and the the end of days happening, but rather that when we have the Torah of the of the of the Zohar Kaddish, which comes down, you know, in all the Sfarim we learned in the Rabbi Nachman, through that we can experience Geula now, even when we're in the difficult Gullus, the 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 Holy Torah of the Zohar, and and the way it came down through all the students and through the and through Rabbi Nachman and the Baal Shem Tov and all of the all of the Chassidisha writings, is that it gives us even now when we're in difficult times, it gives us that little bit of Geula. It allows us to have some some redemption and some geula even in our difficult lives. That's really the uh, the panemiastic way to see Reb Shimon and all of his 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 existence. Okay, Chavra, I think we'll hold it there. Thank you, everybody, for joining again. Ritzashem, we'll see you on uh, next week on Monday. We'll continue where we left off. All the best. Mm-hmm.